Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 79 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 1st of July 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 11. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. We continue this morning, of course, in our, our series on uh, contending for uh, the faith. Uh, I was reminded as I stood there a few minutes ago of one of the passages that uh, we looked at probably probably last week. Um, of course, we know that uh, uh, the Lord has given to the church uh, these gifts. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And of course, we we looked in our, in our series, and that's really what this series is all about. Uh, some of the things aren't always the easiest things to uh, to preach, uh, but they're necessary things. Uh, if I haven't lost count anywhere along the way, I mean, today will be number 79 in this series, and today will be the 11th one as we've been looking at the church, the glorious church of Jesus Christ. And of course, again, it is it is such a glorious thing that when we begin to look that once Jesus left, most of the New Testament was either written about or to the church. And, uh, and we've been looking, and of course, uh, uh, we've looked through a number of sermons on defining uh, what a New Testament church really is. And then we've been looking at the design of the New Testament church. We looked at the organization of it. And last week and this week, we're looking at the officer's of a New Testament church. And of course, as we, as we looked last week, uh, we said that, uh, uh, that very simply, you know, that uh, a, a church that uh, is organized uh, is, a, is an organization of born-again, baptized believers that are united in faith and practice that are assembled together with Jesus Christ as their head and their supreme authority. Uh, as we begin to look at that organization, we saw that... Uh, uh, that the first officer that the church was uh, ever identified with was that of an apostle. But that was one that has passed away, that no longer is. Uh, but we saw last week that there is uh, the office, there are two offices that remain in the New Testament church today. We looked last week at that of the pastor, elder, bishop, all these different titles, different names, uh, talking about that, uh, uh, that one job, that one office within the church. And, uh, and of course, as we uh, looked at that, we, uh, we noted a number of things, uh, but said, remember, uh, when we identified the church for what it is, that it is the Lord's called out assembly. It's not just any group of people. It's not just any assembly, assembly that decides that they, they want to call themselves a church, but it is a called out assembly that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is his church. And uh, so it's to him that we, that we look and we said that uh, uh, it is he that has designed his church. He's given us the design in Scripture. We have no authority to change that. And, of course, as we 
looked, I made the statement in closing last week uh, that a church that is designed any other way uh, than that which God himself has given us in his word uh, is not a New Testament church. Uh, and a church that is not designed with the office of pastor, elder, bishop, uh, is not and should not be described as a New Testament church. Uh, but as we begin to look today, I want to call your attention. We did mention another office last week that we would look at today. It's important that we understand this. In Acts chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. I invite you to stand with me this morning to honor the reading of God's precious and holy word. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we have appointed over the, who we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and the proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased. The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Father, thank you again this morning for this time that we have. Thank you for your word that we have before us, for your Holy Spirit. Lord, that can take and, and make these words alive in our hearts and speak to us today with more than just the mere words of man. And Father, that's what we ask and pray for at this time. You know every individual. You know every need. And Father, we pray that you would meet those needs by your power. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. The office of a deacon. It's interesting that in our passage that we just read here that the word deacon itself is not used there in our English Bible. Now, it is very clear as we study the Scriptures that this is the origin of what is later to be called by the name deacon. Here, though, he's showing us the, the reasons for this office being established within the church and the way that it was accomplished. The church had grown quickly. At this point, it's estimated that it's very conservative to say that there were 20,000 members in the church at Jerusalem. Now, that's a good-sized church. That's a mega church even in our day. We find that as all those people together, guess what began to happen? And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring. <laughs> they began to grumble. They began to complain. And of course, as that was done, we find that uh, uh, they had a specific reason that they were, they were troubled, and it was because that some of the widows were not being cared for within the congregation like they should. And so we find that the office of a deacon, it originates out of a need of the church that Jesus Christ was building here, and out of this first church 
that was established on this earth here at Jerusalem, there was a need within that body and the office of the deacon comes out of that need and the church is instructed on how to go about choosing some men to appoint over that business. Now, the word deacon really doesn't mean anything in English because it's not even an English word. Uh, there is no English word for it. Uh, it is the English form of a transliterated word from the Greek, uh, diakonos, which uh, is found three times in our Bible that it's translated into the word deacon. What does diakonos mean? Well, the Greek lexicon says that it's one who executes the commands of another, especially of a master, a servant, an attendant, a minister, a waiter. Interesting, a servant of a king. And of course, it then goes on and describes how this office is used in the New Testament church. Now, it's interesting when we begin to look, there was a need that arose within the church. Now, even though the word deacon itself is not used in these verses that we read, it does appear in this passage in two other forms before us in verse 2. When it says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Guess what the word serve is right there? Diakoneo, which is another form of the word diakonos. So the, the, the apostles are saying to them that it's not reason uh, for us to leave the word of God to stop serving the Word of God in order to serve something else that needs to be served. We also find down in verse 4 when it says, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Diakonia. Again, another form of the word diakonos, which is being used here. If you would, I mean, they're really all the same word. It's, it's kind of like, for example, if I were to say that uh, the server is serving tables as a service. Um, if I said that uh, the minister is ministering as a ministry to others. It's just different forms of the same word. And so we find here that it was this need. It was this need for a diaconist for someone to, 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 to serve, to serve the king, to serve the church in order to meet the needs of others, someone to wait upon the tables to meet those needs of others. Keep in mind, I didn't begin all of this with entitling this portion of this series, The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ for No Reason. That's what we're talking about here. Specifically at this point, we are looking at what the Scriptures give us as the design for that New Testament church. These two offices that are there. We saw, as we looked last week, we saw the purpose of a pastor, which we just read from Ephesians there again, which is what this is all about. It's for the perfecting of the saints. It's for, for teaching those saints so that they're not tossed about by every wind of doctrine. You know, some sermons that you can hear, boy, they can just, they can make you so happy that you just want to shout, that you maybe want to jump up a little bit, that you want to, you know, just, just, just laugh out. I mean, you just feel so good about it. I've had to listen to some where I felt more like 
crawling underneath the seat <laughs> rather than shouting with glory. The thing is, is that we need all kinds, and that's what exhorting and teaching the Word of God is all about. He said, so that we're not washed about by every wind of doctrine. Today, we've already seen there are a lot of strange doctrines about concerning the church. Well, I challenge, I challenge anybody and anything with any of them, take me to the Word of God. And I know everybody says, well, we get ours from the Bible. Today, we need to understand. We need to understand Jesus Christ gave himself for the church. It's vital. That's God's instrument to minister upon this earth. And a deacon is part of that. He is one of the offices that is set up for that church, for that glorious church of Jesus Christ to be able to function as Christ wants it to. He designed it this way. We talk about ordaining pastors and ordaining deacons. What does it mean to ordain? It really simply means to set apart, to set someone apart for a specific purpose. You see, the Bible tells us, he gives us, we ordain pastors because these are men that have to meet certain qualifications that are set apart for that. The same thing with deacons. We'll see that there are specific qualifications, and these are men that the church takes and sets apart for a specific purpose within God's church. So the deacon is ordained, he's set apart. Why? May I say, first of all, for the well-being of the church, for your well-being. We find that, first of all, we found here in verse 1 that what were they murmuring about? Of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. The widows were being neglected. We find that, obviously, the church had a great responsibility. These women within the church had lost their husbands. They no longer had the means of caring for themselves. And so these people are saying, well, hey, you know, some of these people are being cared for and some of them aren't. And, of course, we find that that same principle would apply for other needs. It's not just the widows that are the only needs within the congregation. But it was a legitimate need. It was something that the apostles had to say, okay, okay, this is a legitimate need within the church that needs to be cared for. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to set apart seven men. Why seven? There's no magical number about seven. Whatever is needed, I'm sure, is, is appropriate. We're going to set aside seven men that we're going to appoint over this business these widows do need to be cared for. The needs of the people do need to be met. But it's not only set aside because to prevent the neglect of the widows, but to prevent neglect of the Word of God. You see, that's what he says in the next verse. This is a need. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. It's not a reason to take us away from our primary purpose for the church, which is the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. It is not a good enough reason to take us away from that in order to be a deacon, in order to serve tables, in order to serve this other thing. This is important. 
Because you see, so many times we see that we live in a day when many churches are focused more upon the social and practical ministries than they are the spiritual ministries. Now, folks, there is no excuse. The Bible tells us over and over and over again. You know, it, it, it doesn't do a whole lot of good to say, oh, brother, bless your heart. When he's hungry and he needs food, he needs food. He doesn't need just a handshake and a blessing. For us to see needs and not to try to meet those needs is wrong of us as Christians. And this is not what that they're, they're not saying here, that these other things aren't important. It's just the preaching of the word. But they're saying there is nothing else that is important enough for us to do away with the serving of the, Lord, of the word of God in order to meet those needs. We need, as a body of Christ, to function in a way to where we can meet those social and practical and those other needs that might come up without sacrificing the ministry of the Word of God. Too many today have gone lopsided to one side, and on the one hand they have, quote-unquote, a social gospel where they're just doing all these wonderful good things, but they're no longer giving people the truth of the Word. Oh, we have those that may be standing strong and, and, and preaching and teaching, but they're doing nothing to meet the needs of those that have genuine needs you see, the simple truth is here is that a deacon is the office in a New Testament church that is put there. These men are set aside. They are set apart for the well-being of the church to prevent the neglect of the widows and of the needs that might come up within the congregation, to prevent the neglect of the word where those that are needing to focus upon the preaching and teaching of God's word are having to do these other things this in no way diminishes our responsibility of ministering to the real, genuine needs of people. In fact, if anything, it should show us the greater importance that is being placed upon it there. If it weren't important, what would have happened here when these people, they were murmuring, they were grumbling about things, but... There was some legitimacy. Now, maybe they weren't murmuring, wasn't the best way to do it, but there was some legitimacy to what they were murmuring about. And of course, when the apostles heard this murmuring, they called the people to them and they began to talk to them. They said, okay, this is legitimate. There's something here that needs to be done. If it weren't important, they'd have just told them to hush up and get on their way. But that wasn't the responsibility of the church. No, they said, hey, this is something that is important enough that we need to sit some men aside to be able to take care of this work. We need to recognize that the need to minister to the needs of the congregation are of such importance that the New Testament church the glorious church of Jesus Christ, it was designed in a way that it not only had those that were the pastors, the elders, the bishops that were there as the overseers and responsible for teaching and preaching the Word of God, but also designed with the office of a deacon to assure that the needs of the people could be met. It also shows us the absolute priority of prayer and ministry of the word in the church. Above all, when God has called someone to do that, 
all the other things that may be important, they should never take that place. In fact, if you stop and think about it, it's only through prayer and ministry of the Word, just like we're looking at here today, that we can even know God's design for the church, that we can even know how the church should be organized, that we can even know how that the church can fulfill its duties that God has for it, not what man has decided that it should be. A deacon. He is ordained. He is set apart in the congregation for the well-being of the church for your well-being as a congregation, not only for the well-being of the church, but by the will of the people, of the church itself. You see, we see this in the choosing of the men. What does he say there in verse 3? Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men. Now remember, the the apostles we just saw in verse 2, they had the multitude of the disciples before them when they were speaking these words. They'd called the congregation together. The men that were to serve in this capacity, they were to be chosen by the congregation from among the congregation so that the apostles could appoint them over these specific duties. We see also in verse 5, it says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude and they chose. <laughs> you see, it's being done by the will of the people, the choosing of the men, but it wasn't a battle. <laughs> it wasn't a battle in the church like so many of our politics turn into today. <laughs> it wasn't a mudslinging contest where one could prove that they were more spiritual and more qualified and more suited to do the job than someone else. It was a pleasing thing, the Bible says. It was a blessing for the church to be able to go about this and choose according to the specific instructions that God gave them. They've not only been told that they're to choose these men out from amongst themselves, but they're told specifically how to go about it. This is something that was going to be a blessing for the church. It was going to help the church. It was going to help the church be able to be what God wanted it to be. They were to choose men with specific qualifications. These men were being chosen by the will of the people, but it was to be done according to God's perfect will, according to God's guidance. He wasn't finding the person that was the most popular, the most liked, the most influential, but it was finding those that met what God said they needed to do because we see by the will of the people, we see not only the choosing of the men that the church had the responsibility to do, but we see the character of the men that were being chosen. What did he say there in verse 3? Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. Of honest report. You know, the first thing that this person had to, to have the first qualification, the first sign in their character is they had to be somebody that was honest. You know, so many times, so many times, we know that as we look around and we live in a day today when honesty has taken on a totally different idea even amongst the world than what it used to. But we find that 
These are men that are going to have to be honest. And of course, that honesty is kind of a result of the next qualification. They're full of the Holy Ghost. People can be good people. They can be nice people. They can be smart people. They can be rich people. They can be people that are very generous and are very giving and are, and are willing to, to help all these other people. But that doesn't mean that they are full of the Holy Ghost. It doesn't mean that their life is controlled by the Holy Spirit. I know a lot of nice people. As a matter of fact, I, I have said with some shame, as I look back in my not-too-long life, not yet anyway, a lot more to go, but a little bit of experience. You know, it shames me sometimes to say that, you know, some of the, some of the people that I have worked for in my life that were the most generous and the most honest and the kindest were not Christians. Being good doesn't make a person a Christian. Being generous doesn't make them a Christian. Doing all the religious things doesn't make them a Christian. Simple truth is, is when this, this person is being chosen, it's not just somebody that you can look at and say, yes, I can respect that person. They're a nice person. They would help people. You know, they're, they're, they're smart enough to handle this job. I know that they would be willing to do it, but no, a person that you look at them and you say, they walk with God. Their life is controlled by God. You see, the simple truth is this is a person, he's being chosen by the will of the people, but he's being chosen according to God's perfect will. And so we find that God says you've got to have men. If they're going to be a servant of the king, aren't we all servants of the king? There are a lot of other words that... Uh, that are translated in the Bible, we are all to serve one another. We even looked at, at some time back on the Holy Spirit. I mean, even, even the gifts that are given to each and every one that's a part of the, the church, they're used for the edification of others. You see, the eyes have to come off of self. What I need, what I want, how hard it is, how bad it is. It's got to be looking at others. What does the other person what can I do to help them? It don't matter that I've had the worst week that I've ever had in my life. What can I do to be a blessing to somebody else? And you see, the thing is, though, is what God is looking for here is somebody that's, that's not a fake. Not somebody that when they, when they say, you know, some people talk and you have to wonder, well, I wonder if they really meant that or not. Now, this is a person of honest report, a person that's full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, the Bible says. I'm not talking about man's wisdom there. Go all through the Bible. That's not the kind of wisdom that God wants any of us as Christians to have. You see, we're all to have wisdom. We're all to serve. These aren't things that are something that, well, you've got to take this person and they're going to have to do something different from everybody else. No, it's just the ones that are genuinely doing what we should all be doing anyway. Honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. That's the character that God has, has said that these men should have. Now, 
The scripture later gives us much more detailed, and I'm not going to go into all of them, but I'm going to read them for you briefly from 1 Timothy chapter 3. We saw that in this same chapter last week, we saw the qualifications of a bishop, of a pastor, uh, of an elder. Uh, and of course, as we look uh, further down to, uh, to verse 8, he says, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. And then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they have used the office of a deacon for they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good decree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Those are pretty serious qualifications. And it's interesting there that just as it did with the pastor, the elder, the same thing with the deacon. It's not just him, but it's the spouse as well. I don't say this to be nasty. I've, I've seen men that it was sad what God could have done with them had they had a wife that was supportive of that ministry. You see, you can't on the one hand. It's just like, you know, these things, they're not, they're not real hard to figure out. The Bible says one man, one woman makes a marriage. The Bible says when that one man and that one woman come together, they're no longer two, but they're one. Matter of fact, they're welded together. They should be totally inseparable. You can't have one without the other. I know some of you don't want to be quite that close, but <laughs> but that's why that it's so vital that both be believers, that both be set upon the things of God. You can't be one with somebody else if you're one with God and the other person's not. Because the same token, when we become one with Christ, we are in Christ. So if a person is going to be serving in this capacity, if he's going to be set aside, then it's vital that not only he, but that wife that he is one with, that she meet those qualifications as well, that the two of them together as one be able to, to function because no pastor and no deacon, he is married, has a wife. He can't function as if he's single. They must function as one in that ministry. So as we begin to, to look at these qualifications, it becomes pretty clear that God has laid down some serious qualifications. But you know what? If you look at all of those qualifications, number one, First thing any, any human being look at would say, whether it's pastor or a deacon, none of us will meet all those qualifications. But yet there's nothing in there that isn't asked of every Christian. It's just living a Christ-like life. 
It is living a Christ-like life. And so he's not asking again. He's not asking that they do something that he's not asking of all of us. He just asks that they genuinely live the Christ-like life that they ought to be living anyway. And so the deacon within the church, the deacon is set apart, he's ordained, if you would, for the well-being of the church. And he's set aside by the will of the people. But I want you to notice one other thing. It must be done with wisdom from on high. Now, I make this point because it should be clear to us from what we've seen that this matter of appointing deacons in a New Testament church it's of such great importance, it requires great wisdom in doing so. It's going to affect the whole body. I can promise you this, folks. If you want to see a church in disarray, just get your pastors and elders and deacons all pulling different directions and going all kinds of different directions instead of pulling together. There's no way that the body is going to be united if the spiritual leadership is in disarray. There needs to be wisdom in the choosing. When choosing these men, we need more than just mere wisdom of man. We need more than just good things that we see. We need a wisdom that is from on high, a wisdom that can only come through God's Word through knowing God's perfect will, through much prayer and wisdom from on high. You see, that's why that so many times it can be a divisive time in a church, either when it's calling a new pastor, appointing a new elder, appointing a new deacon, because this person wants that person to be the, the, the new one, and this person wants that one to be the one, and it can be a very divisive time. You know, God's got one will. God's perfect will is somebody within that individual. And the truth is this. This is where we get in the flesh again. Somehow we take it personal because somebody chose so-and-so over me. Because so-and-so picked that person because they liked them better instead of picking that person. When in fact, who does God want? It doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It simply means that it's God's will at this point in time well, this individual, God has given us instructions in the things that we need to see. But we still need wisdom from on high. We need God's, okay, God, here's these men that I see those qualifications in. Who would it be your will? You're the one that's promised to build your church. Who would you have to be serving in this position? We need wisdom in the choosing and wisdom in the chosen. That's why they had to be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. It needs to be somebody that's not going to try to carry the job out in the wisdom of man, but rather in the power and the wisdom of God. The office of deacon, it carries with it great responsibility. But you know what? I'd also like to point out that for those that are chosen to do so, and they're willing to serve God in that capacity, it also brings some great reward. To whomsoever much is given, much is 
required. That's an absolute uh, principle of the Word of God. So the responsibility is great when a person is given that. But first of all, you know, if you got to keep pride out of the way, and that's hard. And if you don't struggle with it, then you've missed that first qualification of being an honest report right away. It's something that we all have to struggle with at different times and in different ways. But the truth is, folks, is that it is a great honor to be chosen by the rest of the body in recognition of the character that is there in your Christian life to serve in this capacity. You've got to be careful not to let your head get big if you're chosen. You've got to recognize that if you are anything, it is all of Jesus Christ. It is all by grace. It is that he is maybe getting through you because you know just how vile that you really are, just like I know better than anybody else how vile that I really am. But by the grace of God, can more of Jesus come through and less of me? See, I don't, I don't want you to know any more of me or any more about me. I want you to know more about Jesus. I want him to have more control of my life. I want him to be the one that you see. The truth is, is that for a person to be chosen, they should see it as an honor to represent and to serve these others. And, of course, you know, we could look many places in Scripture, but there is great peace and joy. We even sing the song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. God tells us to serve one another. There is, there, he tells us that it's more blessed to give than to receive. You see, here's something that we're all instructed to do, but as a deacon. Obviously, we're supposed to be seeing this in his life and to be able to have the privilege to be able to serve and minister to the needs of others. Here, the widows just needed food to eat. <laughs> you know, to know that somebody's hungry and to be able to go out there and to give them the food, to know that they're hurting in whatever area it is, and to be able to minister to them, it makes your life worth something, more than just the paycheck that you're going to get at the end of the month. simple truth is, is that whatever we're doing in this life is what we do for the Lord that really matters. But it also brings reward from the Lord as well. You remember what we read there in, in 1 Timothy? The very last verse that, that we read from the qualifications there uh, in chapter 3, in verse 13 it says, For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. What is a good degree? A good standing, if you would. Is that in men's eyes? I believe that it's talking about in the Lord's eyes. See, it's not what we say, but it's what we do that matters with the Lord as well. Matthew chapter 25 and in verse 21, his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the, what's the next word in your Bible? Joy of the Lord. You see, it'll bring you great, great joy. It'll, it'll put you in, 
in good standing. Unfortunately, the past century, the past, say, hundred years or so, we have seen the church more and more, and listen carefully, we've seen the church depart from the design that God has given us in His Word. From the design, we still call it a New Testament church, but we're no longer looking to the New Testament to define it and for its design. Now, more and more churches are following the design of man-made organizations, operating the churches like a business. This is very strange sometimes when people get saved and when they come into the church because they've been used to these things operating in the world's way. The problem is the church began to borrow a lot of that stuff. And so they hire this man, this person for this job and this job and this job and this job. Folks, that's not the way that it's designed in the New Testament. We find that churches today, especially as you get into larger churches, they tend to operate more by man's design rather than the offices of pastors, elders, deacons. They remove more and more of the biblical doctrines. They're afraid to take a stand. Why? So that people can be united in their beliefs more easily. You see, that sounds like a good thing. If we can bring unity to people, truth is, is that they don't want to take a stand on the Word of God, and so they either just leave those doctrines out or water them down to suit themselves. What feels better, what's more rational in man's thinking, they depart from the very Word of God. Doesn't matter if we understand it fully. Doesn't matter if we agree with it. If God said it, that's it. God has given us the design for the church. We don't have the authority or the right to change that. But the world has crept in. And the doctrines, the teachings of the Bible have gone out. We find that the church then begins to operate with all kinds of offices other than these scriptural offices. They still say they believe in a New Testament church and that a New Testament church, many of them will say, has two offices, pastors and deacons. But a New Testament church that is truly a New Testament church, folks, it's not defined by man and it's certainly not designed by man. In God's design, of a New Testament church, we see that the organization of a New Testament church is that united body of born-again, baptized believers that have covenanted themselves together in a common faith and doctrine. They should be in singleness of mind and hearts with one accord and must recognize that Jesus Christ himself is the one and only head. No other people on earth, no other people on earth can be organized into a New Testament church nor organized any other way. The offices of a New Testament church are two, pastors, elders, bishops, all one office and the office of a deacon. 
You begin to change any of this. You might still call it a church, but it is no longer a New Testament church if it's left the New Testament design. You can call it anything you want and you can operate it any way you want to and you can still call it a church. But if it doesn't meet God's definition and if it doesn't follow His design, then it's not a New Testament church. As we begin to look through some other things, we'll look at the operation of that church, the doctrines, the, the evangelization, the functions, what the church should be doing. I want you to understand today, as we look at these things, it is fundamentally part of our faith. We need to understand church is a glorious thing. We saw that there's two churches today. Again, I look around. I recognize all of your faces today. We talked about a church that is a prospectus church. It's prospectus because it is in prospect only. It is a church that will be called out. And it's never, ever, ever. It's never called an ecclesia until it is called out and assembled together. The church universal that many would talk of today, there's only one. That church is going to be called out of here and assembled together at the rapture. There's only one way to be part of that church, the body of Christ. And that's to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. The local New Testament church is supposed to be a picture of that. That's the present church that we have right now. Today, I would only ask you this question as we come to a close this morning. Do you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you know with absolute certainty today that if that trumpet were to sound right now, you're going to be part of that called out assembly, the one true church that will be together for the first time and it will be together forever. Do you know today you can know that and you must know that? And If you are, then are you part of a local New Testament church? That's God's instrument right now on this earth. Today, today, we need to recognize the glory of what the Lord is doing, that all these things that he's doing is for his glory, is for his purpose. Above all else, it's that others might come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you today. Lord, we know that these are those things that so many times, Lord, as we look at these things, we, we may think, well, those things aren't really all that important. Lord, they're so vital. They're so important. The church is being ripped apart today. The church is being weakened. The church is being torn down. Lord, we need strong churches today, strong churches that will stand upon the truth, but they'll do so in love churches that will reach out to the, to the needs of people. The Lord, that the priority of the word will never lose its place. Churches that Lord, are following your design. Churches that will operate 
according to your guidelines and not their own. Father, I pray that you would work within us. I pray that you would help us, Lord. I pray that if there is anyone here this morning, I know that this has not been an evangelistic message as such. Lord, we never want to look into your word without recognizing that we're talking about the church of Jesus Christ. We're talking about that which is left here. The reason we are here is for the salvation of men. If there's anyone here today that doesn't know that they're part of that one true church that will be called out at the rapture, if they don't know that their name is written in the Lamb's book of life, then I pray that by the power of your Spirit you would show them that. 